0: Today's scripture comes from Mark chapter 4 verse 35 through 41 and it says the day when evening came he said to his disciples let us go over to the other side leaving the crowd behind they took him along just as he was in the boat there were also other boats with him a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. If you would, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would speak by your word. We pray that as we come to your text, your spirit would illumine our hearts, would, as, as we've talked about for the last couple weeks, that it would Give us eyes not only to see, but to comprehend. That it would give us ears not only to hear, but to understand. So that as we perceive and as we understand the truth of the gospel, our lives would be changed. We ask that you would move in this room now and that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We've been walking through the book of Mark under this heading, The Suffering King, and we've been looking at specifically what kind of King Jesus is. And for the next two weeks in, in our text, uh, and it's, it's funny because uh, we mention this every once in a while, but while the words of Scripture are authoritative and inspired, God-breathed, the verse and chapter designations aren't so much, <laughs> Right? They were given to us uh, for, as reference points for memory, right? If you look in the early manuscripts, they didn't chapter and num- That would be odd, right? Paul sitting there chaptering and numbering his letter uh, <clears throat> or, or this story. Uh, and so this is one of those cases where the chapter division breaks up, I think, the intent of the author and the flow of the story, because this story about Jesus calming this storm and the next story about Jesus healing the garrison possessed, the demonic possessed man, they speak to the same theme, that Jesus is the authoritative king. Um, When I married my wife, Melissa, I also married into a whole world of music that I had not known before. This is an aside, really. Um, and one one of, of, of those uh, one piece of that music, one band represented in that music, is a band called Counting Crows. And I almost titled this sermon The Rain King, right? It just fits. They have a song called The Rain King. It just works, and he screams at the end, and kind of so does Jesus. And, and this story is giving us one aspect of our authoritative King Jesus. It's showing his power, and usually what we do when we gather together is we really break deep into uh, the sort of redemptive historical context, what the people of that day would be thinking when they heard this story or when they told this story, and suffice to say what they would hear is that Jesus has authority even over the creation, Uh, but today I want to take us a little different path, and I want to talk to us about storms storms. I think it's pretty uh, timely. We, before we moved uh, to D.C., before we moved to Plant Union Church, we were at a church in North Carolina. Uh, and the church was just south of Raleigh. And not only was the church there, we lived in North Carolina. We loved North Carolina. We loved the fact that where we lived was an hour and a half from the mountains and an hour and a half from the beach. Right? You don't get that in many places. And we would, go to, uh, we would go to the beach and as we watched Hurricane Florence approach the shore, there was an extra level of interest on our part and on my part because we knew the places that it was hitting We'd see images of what was once a highway underwater, and those images are jarring, aren't they? But how much more jarring are they when you're like, oh, I know that ice cream shop, or oh, I know this place that it's, it's talking about. There's, there's this sense in which we watched, and in, in these places where we would eat or these places where we would pass through, uh, they were just overwhelmed by the water. And something interesting happens in my mind every time there's a hurricane, um, every time there's a tornado or, 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 or a tsunami or something of that sort, something interesting happens. Uh, I remember anew just how hilariously, and, 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 and it's not that these things are funny, they're not, they're tragic, how hilariously weak we actually are. How frail we are, right? We live in in a city that boasts of power, and in a country that boasts of power. And if you go to New York, or if you go to some of the other cities, you'll see these Chicago, whoever you see these skyscrapers, these testaments to the ingenuity of, of humanity, or the power of humanity. You see these things, and and then you look at at our buildings, at our houses, and. You think this house is unshakable. And water, the most basic thing, water, just in a second, changes it. Right? Hurricanes remind us of our weakness. Storms remind us of our weakness. And we are going to see that the same thing happens in this story. They come across a hurricane. They come across a storm. Jesus says to his disciples, all right, we're done here. We're going to go to the other side of this sea, this lake, this large body of water. We're going to go. We have work to do there. So come, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, all of them went on a boat. And, and this detail is interesting to me. He says there were other boats with them. The reason that detail is interesting to me is because it, those other boats never get spoken of again. Right? Like, weird detail to put in there. Because part of me is like, okay, but what happened on those other boats? We'll come to that, I suppose. But, uh, but they get in the boat, and they go out on the Sea of Galilee. And what's interesting is as soon as they got on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, they were aware that this was a possibility. Now, I don't know how deeply cognizant or how deeply they were thinking about this could happen, but they were aware. What's interesting is that even if you go to the Sea of Galilee today... There are these storms that sort of out of nowhere arise. You'll find signs for cars that are parked close to the sea. Like park at your own risk because storms come and they'll blow your car into the sea. Right? The Sea of Galilee is known for this. I, I, I don't know the science or the, the geographical reasons behind it, but for whatever reason, the way that the, the air and the waves play on each other and the way that the sea is in its, in its uh, depth versus the land around it, it causes wind to swirl quickly. And what should just be a mild breeze or a light storm can very quickly erupt into what the Greek calls a lilac a storm of great and immense power, a tumultuous storm. And that's what they—that's the word, that's what happens here. As Jesus and his disciples are in the boat, a lilac comes, arises. And so we have to understand the practical reality of this storm. A lilac, as I said, it's a tumultuous storm in the Sea of Galilee that seemed to come out of nowhere. There's no evacuation warnings. There's no declared state of emergency. There's no time to board up the windows. The storm just comes. This storm is merciless. It beats on the, it beats on the boat, it beats on anything in there. Th- th- what's interesting is for that reason, it was very rare that the people in that region would actually go and sail on the Sea of Galilee. The only ones who would really do it with any regularity were fishermen, which, conveniently, <laughs> are four of the twelve people that Jesus has brought with them uh, with him on this boat. They're the four of the twelve disciples, so they understand what's happening, certainly as it's beginning to happen. They're seeing the signs, and they're like, oh, did you see that? Oh, the birds are flying. Uh, the when the birds leave, we should also leave. They're seeing the signs, but still, it comes up on them. It's merciless, and it beats on them. It's an unexpected storm that threatens the life and the existence of the boat and the people in that sea. And so I think for a second, if, if we just want to talk about our lives for a second, I think you know the parallels. A lilac, a storm, this hurricane. It's this unexpected circumstance that arises that throws everything that you were sure about and everything that you felt secure in into question. It calls it into question. It's merciless. It's beating on you. You feel like there's no way out. See, the thing about it is when you're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and you're in a storm like this, it's not like a tunnel where there's light at the end of it. It's not like a a gray cloud where you can see the silver lining. You are in a hurricane in the water. Water above you, water all up in here, and water below you. And and the situation is perilous. Listen to what it says. It says that as the wind is blowing and the waves are beating, the boat was taking in water or already being swamped. Right, this situation is grave. I'm, I'm not a sailing enthusiast or a boating enthusiast. Um, I don't even approach that. Uh, I don't know much about boats, but I am pretty confident that water in the boat is the opposite of the intention of the boat, right? Boats are not meant to hold water. They're meant to be on the water. And as more water gets into the boat, your situation, the situation is dire and more dire and more scary and more terrifying. And we've been there. We've been in these situations where we don't know what is going to happen. I've heard it said... That in life, you're either in a storm, leaving a storm, or going into a storm. Now, this, this is true, but I don't want to downplay the extent and the danger of a lilac in a storm like this, because the, the basic premise is that storms in life will come, and this is true. But this is a situation from which it seems there is no escape. This is a backbreaking, frightening, terrifying, deadly. You have legitimate reason to feel fear and anxiety. Right? And without downplaying those little storms in life that come, I want us to recognize that these are the storms in life that we look back on and sometimes still have a hard time understanding why God would take us through that. These are the storms in life that in the middle of it, you begin to go through other storms. See, and that's what happens in this text. They're in a physical, actual storm. There is a practical storm that is happening. But at the same time, that storm leads them into other storms. One storm is an emotional storm, a storm of anxiety and fear. We know that moving forward and jumping forward because of how Jesus responds. He says, why are you afraid? In other things, it says, why are you terrified? Why are you consumed with fear? Jesus sees their and saw their state when they came to them and knows that they are terrified. And the thing is, that question makes like no sense. Why are you consumed with fear? The boat is taking in water, Jesus, and the storm is here, and we're in the ocean. We're at sea. Why are we afraid? Because cancer is terrifying. Because this thing, this relationship that I thought was sure, has just fallen apart. And I don't know where to go from here. Because I have no money and now no job. It's terrifying. And these circumstances, these storms that you walk through, they lead to the second storm, this internal storm, and you felt it, the storm that keeps you up at night. Or the storm that you, you, you go to sleep dreading a thing and hopes that at least I'll sleep and I'll wake up and I'll have a little bit of time, right, before I have to think about this again. But then what happens? You wake up before your alarm clock thinking about the thing. It's like my heart was racing when I went to sleep. Can it at least not be when I wake up? That type of storm, in, of, in that internal emotional storm, right? There's the physical reality that the disciples are experiencing. We're going to die. And it leads to this emotional storm. We're, ter- we're scared. We're properly fearful. And that storm we have to we have to come to these this reality right of the storm is that that storm then leads to perhaps the most intense and the most difficult storm to weather it becomes this spiritual and theological storm this crisis of faith they're experiencing that they're terrified water's coming in at this point if water if it looks swamped they've been They've been bucketing out water. They've been battening down hatches. I don't know. They've been doing boat survival things, right? They are surviving on their boat, and it's become clear that they don't know enough boat survival tactics to survive this. And so they are terrified, and they go to Jesus And this is what they do when they wake him up. Their words to him are words of theological crisis, words that you've asked before. Teacher, substitute Lord, substitute God for us. They're saying teacher because they don't know who Jesus is yet in his fullness. But Lord, Jesus, teacher, God, do you not care? That we are perishing if you're a believer I would not believe you (laughs) if you said that there's never been a point in your walk where even just for a second you didn't ask God are you even there do you even care do you see what's happening in my life. I mean, I do. It's all around me. You say these things. Do you care? There is a practical and personal reality to the storms of life and to the storm that they're in. That practical and personal reality is that they are actually in danger. Your fear is a gift from God, right? Fear when used correctly, is a gift from God letting you know that you need to lean into God, right? And so there is a courage that comes from leaning into God that is not the same as the courage that we tell people when we're like, toughen up, don't be afraid, right? There is a courage that comes from wisdom that comes from naming your fear. What is in front of me is unknown, God, and I am afraid, so I will lean in to you. That is proper courage. What is unknown, what is ahead of me is unknown, and (laughs) I'm charging in. I'm Braveheart. We're, 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 We're gladiators here. That's foolishness. It's folly, right? And so that same emotion, afraid, gets either manipulated and twisted or it moves into wisdom and it causes you to rely on the Lord. But that fear comes up. There's that crisis of faith. This is the reality. And listen, I think, just for one second, going back to that weird point that I I asked about earlier, I think that's why we get the little detail of the other boats on the sea. Consider this for a second. The story focuses exclusively on the disciples, and they are concerned exclusively about the disciples. (laughs) But it starts, and there are other boats out in this storm. And the reality is that storm you are facing, that fear that you are experiencing, and that theological crisis, that doubt that you are experiencing, is not new to you. It's not exclusive to you. You are not alone in this. You don't have to be. But they experience this and they go to Jesus. Finally, it leads them to wake up Jesus. And we then begin to see the truth about the storm. Because the experience that we have of the storm, the realities of the storm that we face, aren't the full truths of the storm. The first reality about the storm that we have to, the first truth about the storm that we have to, to get in mind, and this one, actually, I'm using it first because uh, it's, it's kind of the hardest one, even if it brings momentary relief. If you were reading this story in the ancient Near East, if you were a Jewish person in that time, and they got out of the water, and they were like, we were in there, and this storm came and Jesus was nowhere to be found. Like, we are freaking out, and Jesus was asleep. They'd be like, yeah, that, you mean like Jonah? Are you guys telling me a Jonah story for a second? Like, think about the similarities between this story and Jonah. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, an unclean land. Now, next week, Joey will talk to us about what's going on when Jesus, when Jesus, uh, <clears throat> when Jesus cast demons out into pigs. But if I can borrow a little of his thunder, the fact that they're cast out into pigs and in that region tells us that they are going to a region that is not where Jewish people are because pigs are unclean. So they're going into a region of people who are not Jewish and who do not obey Jewish laws, whatever. And so there's this similarity where Jonah is leaving the land that is where God's people dwell to go to a people who are not God's people. That's what he's been told to do. But Jonah runs away and Jonah goes into the boat and the storm comes and the people in the boat are casting, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And Jonah has this realization that God has brought this storm because I've disobeyed him. And that is true for Jonah, but I fear that we believe that it's true for us too, that it is a universal truth. And that's why this story and this first truth is so important because how does it start? How does it start? It starts with Jesus saying, let us go across to the other side. And the disciples say, all right. The disciples have obeyed Jesus. The disciples are in whatever this nebulous term that we use a lot, the will of God. They are, whatever that could mean, they're in it. They're with Jesus because they obeyed him and followed him into the boat. They were obedient. Look, storms come to both the just and the unjust alike. You have to recognize that your obedience is not storm repellent. See, we may come against certain theologies because we're like, well, God hasn't promised us the car or a promotion, but functionally, when it hits the fan, we find out that our hearts actually are much more like that theology than we wanted to admit. God, I've done everything right. I've been pure. I've been uh, patient. I've prayed and I'm still here in this place. Or I followed you, I gave up everything, and now it's all gone. I, I just, you, right? And, and you're, and, or you get into these places because you, you're mad at the Lord, or you get into these places where you're like, okay, what sin is God trying to point out in my life? Some of you have been there. You're in a trial, and you're like, oh, God is, God is using this to show me that there's sin in my life that if I just correct, like Jonah, storm gone. And this story says no. You can be perfectly obedient and in the will of God. And the storms still come. The second truth about the storm is this, that we have to remember that God knew about that storm before he told them to get in the boat. God knew about the storm before he told them to go to the other side, and he made a promise to them. The storms of life do not negate the promises of God. Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side, which means we're going to go to the other side. And so Jesus is asleep in the storm, but the disciples aren't because they've forgotten this basic truth that the promise of God in this moment was this. You're going to get to the other side. God knew about the storm before he told you to get in the boat, before he told you to go to the other side, which means there is no suffering, there is no uncertainty, there is no hardship you'll face that God has not foreknown and that God will not carry you through God is faithful. He has promised that you will reach the other side. Think about how much of the redemptive story is God promising people they're going to get somewhere and then being like midway like, mm, I don't know, maybe we should have stayed. Right? That's pretty much all of the wilderness. There is a promised land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Right? If I want to go to a land that's flowing with something, it's probably not milk and honey. But for them, they're like, yes, milk <laughs> and honey, great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but it's, it's flowing with wine and North Carolina Eastern barbecue, right? All right, I'm on my way. And, and midway through, they have no food <laughs> or water or, you know, homes. <laughs> And they lose faith. But God has told them I'm gonna get you through. They get there. God said, I'm gonna give you this land, And, and there are giants in the land, and there are armies in the land. And God has made a promise and he keeps them. Jesus says, We're going to the other side and you will get there. God knows the struggles that you will face as you before you enter them, and he carries you there. And then There's this other truth, because it can be easy in the midst of running around trying to solve your own storm to not realize that God is with you. And the thing is, Jesus was there the whole time. Now, he was asleep. That should have been a cue to them. If Jesus isn't worried, I shouldn't be worried. If God ain't shook, you shouldn't be shook, right? But we understand storms, and we understand that they look big, but even if you may be in one of these storms right now and if there's nothing else I can convey to you in the midst of it, it is that God is there with you. God is with you. Jesus was with them. Their fate was Jesus' fate. And Jesus had work to do. Jesus had an eternal mission, which means no storm was going to stop them. But (laughs) That also meant, if that were to be true and they were going to get to the other side, that that storm, though it seemed all encompassing and forever, it was only, let's use Paul's words, light and momentary. Paul says, For I know that this light and momentary suffering is forging for you a weight of glory. Now, what's funny is, Paul was imprisoned, he got bitten by a snake. He was stoned near to death, right? Uh, Paul Paul was betrayed by friends. Paul was cursed. Paul was in an earthquake when he was in jail and watched the walls collapse around him. He was shipwrecked. Paul saw some stuff, right? None of which any of us would classify as either light or momentary. It's like, Paul, you did all this and then you're martyred. (laughs) That is heavy lifelong suffering, but Paul has this eternal perspective of God and what God is doing in him and in all of the world, this kingdom perspective that allows him to recognize that those afflictions, though temporarily massive, are in the grand scheme of God's eternal work, light and momentary, and they will pass The storm is passing, and we know this is passing because Jesus, this is the ultimate truth. Jesus is the Lord of the storm. He's the storm king. He's the rain king. And so finally, I think it's them coming to their senses, though they're terrified, and though that terror is is a sense of their lack of faith, they come to their senses, and they finally go to Jesus, and they wake him up and say, look, this is where the lack of faith shows. They could have woken him up and said, God, you've got to handle this storm. Instead, they say, teacher, don't you care that we're all about to die? And Jesus gets up, and he's grumpy because you, he got woken up from a nap. <clears throat> and he does three things. I love it. We think of it as one. He calms the storm. But, but listen to what Jesus does. First, it says, he woke up and rebuked the wind. Cut it out. (laughs) Stop. He rebuked the wind, it said. And then he spoke to the sea and said, Peace, be still. He rebuked the wind. He rebuked the storm. Then he spoke to the environment. Peace, be still. And then he corrected lovingly his disciples. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? You know, know, it's interesting, when I read this originally, I read this in the sense of like, Jesus just being frustrated with them. But now that I have kids, I see this differently. Like I see this like, him holding his children and saying, Buddy, like I've told you you don't need to be afraid. I got you. Like, don't you don't you trust me? Like there's love and compassion here, even though it's correction. Have faith. Jesus knows. He knows why they're afraid. He doesn't think it's absurd that they be afraid in the midst of the storm. But he wants them to again realize that he is bigger than the storm. And this is the truth of the storm that God knew it was coming, and it came even though you were obeying him, and that nonetheless it was only momentary because God, Jesus, is Lord even over it. He is the Lord of the storm. And what happens is when God shows up, And if you're in that storm right now, he will show up. When God shows up and rebukes the storm and restores calm, you see him in a deeper, truer reality than you would have before. And this is honestly my favorite part of the story. They were terrified and said to one another, What? manner of man is this, that even the storm and the sea obey him. Now before, they were much afraid. When they went to Jesus, they were fearful. They were properly scared. But now, they're terrified. (laughs) Like it ratcheted up. What it should be is like, all right, thank you, Jesus. Whew, that was close. But that fear shifts focus, intensifies, and leads to wisdom, theological clarity, asking the right questions. Teacher, do you care that I'm perishing? That question is an in-the-storm question. What manner of man is this? That's a God-showed-up question. Whoa! Well, I'll tell you what manner of man. It's the God-man. It is the authoritative king. It is the king of the storm who speaks and all of creation, all of nature responds, who, who casts out demons, who breaks chains. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is Jesus, and he is able to get you through this storm. What manner of man is this? He is no man like you've seen before, and he is no man like you will encounter again. Because he is not just man. He is God. He is king. He is Lord. And what's amazing, and we'll end with this, is that we have an understanding now that the disciples could not have then. Because they did not realize That the reason that Jesus could help them weather the storms of their life was because ultimately he would experience them all. He would succumb to them all in the sense that he would die. He would absorb them. And that he would be risen victorious over them all. But we have that benefit. Just like Jesus was in that same storm, experienced the same wind and the same wet and the same rocking of the boat. We have, the author of Hebrews says, a great high priest who's been tempted in every way that we are, who's been tested in every way that we have been, who has experienced all the grief and the heartache and the brokenness that we do. He has experienced, he has been tempted, he has been tested, and yet was without sin and that great high priest was nailed to a cross becoming victorious over sin and death and its reign defeating it being risen again our king Jesus has seen our storm he foreknew it but he has passed through it and just as he says if I've gone I will come back And I will bring you with me that where I am, there you may also.